We want to make sure that we are taking it one day at a time and living each day our best day and that when I have a bad day, you know, it's just a bad day. Hi, I'm Bobby. After being a caregiver for my father-in-law and understanding firsthand what it's like to be a caregiver, I knew I wanted to support others doing the same thing. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international speaker on caregiving issues. And I'm her husband, Mike. I'm a certified caregiver advocate, certified music therapist, and I have spoken nationally on caregiver issues associated with men. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. You know I won't forget your wine. I certainly hope not. (laughs) One of the dementias that we really haven't talked about in depth is frontotemporal dementia, or FTD as it's referred to. Yes, we haven't addressed that um, before, and the symptoms of frontal temporal disorders vary from person to person, and from one stage of the disease to the next, as different parts of the frontal and temporal lobes are affected. In general, changes in the frontal lobe are associated with behavioral symptoms, while charges in the temporal lobe lead to language and emotional disorders. But the person that can tell us most about that is today's guest a former high school English teacher and media specialist who started slurring words, mixing the front and back of words, and inverting sentences. She had a battery of cognitive tests with four different neurologists and was diagnosed with FTD in 2018. We are very pleased and honored to welcome Jennifer Lee. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. I know that both we and our listeners will learn a great deal from you today. And how brave of you and how wonderful of you to um, talk to us today about FTD and what it's like living with it. I'm honored that I had the opportunity to speak um, for myself and also for other members of the FTD Society that are suffering from this disease that's so unknown. And can you tell us a bit about when you started notice symptoms? I think I started noticing symptoms about a year before anybody else. And that's because you know yourself more than you know anybody else. And I was noticing things at work that I was falling behind on. For instance, because I was a media specialist, I was on a lot of committees at work. I did a lot of paperwork for the state at work. And I also managed our iPad program because we were a one-to-one school. And I would come to a meeting and I would not be prepared. And that was not something I had ever done in the past. I would get to work and I would look at my computer sometimes and it was like I had never seen it before. I was noticing things because I also tutored on the side in the afternoons. Um, I was noticing things as simple as I couldn't remember some of my multiplication tables. 
when I was helping with tutoring. And then I noticed that I had lost my ability to read uh, Vietnamese, which was the second language I had. And it just continued. And when the tremor started on my right side, that was when I really, really knew something was wrong more than just forgetting stuff or being overstressed or all the other excuses you make for something that you have going on in your life. It would be easy for us to say, oh, you know, I've, I've been really busy this week and therefore I don't remember quite as well as I did before. Yeah. Right. Especially because I'm at now I'm only 44. This was going on when I was 41. 40, 41. And we have teenagers at home. So of course I was always busy and I was making excuses for why I couldn't remember things or why all of a sudden what I wanted to come out would not come out. And I finally talked with my husband and he had noticed a few things too. And I had a surgery the summer of 2018. And after being put under anesthesia, when I went back to work, it was just completely, I was out of work by September because after the anesthesia, it was completely different. I did not know how to function at work anymore at all. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that you had the surgery and the anesthesia that had the effect of advancing um, the issues that you were dealing with, because that's very common in, in, in people with dementia. And sometimes it can even bring it to the forefront in elderly people. So one of the things that um, we often uh, suggest people do with somebody with dementia is facing a surgery is have them talk with the surgeon Exactly. And we didn't know that this was going on. So when I had my surgery and then I recuperated over the summer, I had it at the beginning of the summer, like all teachers do. You catch up on all your stuff during the summer. And when I went back to work, it was really like I felt like I was in a place I had never been before. You have six children, correct? Correct. We have a mixed Brady Bunch for ages from 14 <laughs> to 25. Now, during this time when this all became or, or all came to the forefront, what kind of family support with your husband and your children and uh, then and now and even going into the future, what kind of support system is there for you with with that? Oh, my children are absolutely amazing. In the beginning, my middle teenage son often would go with me to doctor's visits, be the one to take me because my husband works for the government, so he travels a lot. And he really saw how much I was struggling. And my older daughters, they both are live in their own houses in different, you know, hours away. And it was hard for them to see me struggling and then not be here. And for my younger children, they immediately stepped up and it, we sat down and we had a family talk because I got diagnosed right before Christmas. And 
I thought, well, you know, let's just have one Christmas together, one last Christmas together where nobody knows about this horrible thing I have. And they were most upset because I waited until after Christmas to tell them. So then we sat down as a family and made a pact that anything I heard from the doctor, they would know immediately as soon as I heard it from the doctor. And we entered counseling too to help my, especially my two younger children at the time, they were a little bit younger. Now they're 14 and 16. But, and then we still go, you know, for check-ins to make sure that they are understanding and processing and we all address it together because everybody has fear about it but we want to make sure that we are taking it one day at a time and living each day our best day and that when I have a bad day you know it's just a bad day but that they get the support they need to. Jennifer I have to say that you seem like you're doing amazingly well Now, we didn't know you before this, but it seems to me as if you are doing the absolute best you can every single day. Um, Are you taking treatments that are are helping slow this down, or is the progression just slow? Um, How is it that you're so amazing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if everybody would agree with that. Unfortunately, there are no treatments for FTD. Um, And thankfully, last week on Friday, I got to be part of a panel that presented to the FDA to ask for support and ask for research to help try to develop drugs that slow what we have going on. I just try to think about that the whole thing about life is for anybody is that we're only here for a minute and the whole scheme of time our lives are really like just a piece of sand on the beach and we only have this short amount of time to make a difference so I got diagnosed and of course at first when I retired and came home after teaching high school and everything I was going through, I was lost. And through the support group, through the FTD support group, I found several members, um, Cheryl Whitman and uh, Cindy O'Dell. And Cheryl kind of took me under her wing and, you know, talked to me and we would message. And the more I got involved with helping with the AFTD, And like us doing the Hot Shot Challenge last year and creating that, the more I realized that it's just like anybody. None of us get out of this place alive. So, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I just decided that the more active I am and the more I work for awareness and the more I try to spread a message that you can't save time in a bottle so to speak Mm -hmm. and I want to leave a legacy for my children that they know that even when something bad happens you have to keep moving and you can't stop 
And I think that just kind of sums up why I try to stay positive. Yes, there's sometimes when I have a meltdown because you realize that for me, you know, sometimes my shaking on my right side is more intense than others. And like I said, you know, sometimes when you have a bad day, you really have a bad day and you can get in your own head. But then I have such a great support system between um, the five, six of us that did the Hot Shot Challenge together and the support group and my family that they always lift me up, remind me, you know, Mom, it's just one bad day. Tomorrow will be better. I have a question for you, Jennifer. Because you you are, you know, you're out there in the public and, and, and you're doing everything that you can to support research um, and you speak so very well, do strangers sometimes try to say that you're you're not sick? Do they? People. You're faking. <laughs> this is a this is an interesting question because right now I'm spot on because it's first thing in the morning, and as the day goes on, the if I the more I talk, the more active I am. Um, my throat tightens and my jaw tightens. And I get a more of a fatigue, if that makes sense. Um, and mine usually happens in the front of my head and behind my ear. So by the end of the day, I'm mixing up all my words. And like I said, my kids tell me I talk like Yoda, and but they understand it. <laughs> all my family gets it. Um, but you know, first thing in the morning after I've had a good night's sleep and, you know, get up, take your vitamins, do yoga, take the kids to school, everything's, you know, on point. But like as the day progresses, of course, things get a little bit mixed up in my speech. And it's like my mind is buffering, trying to get it out. And sometimes I can't even get it out. People always tell me like, you don't look old enough to be retired or, Oh, that must be nice being retired at 44. Well, you it's know, a price I'm, to pay. huh? Yeah. I'm like, well, that might be nice if I wasn't battling a terminal illness or yeah, that might be nice. If also all your family got to be with you all the time. But you battle the isolation because you're at home every day, all day by yourself. And you have to find things to fill your time that are meaningful to you. Like I learned to garden and grow flowers and bake recipes from scratch for my grandmother and spend time with my dog <laughs> and just do things to keep busy and I paint. And some days you can actually tell what I painted and some days you can't. So we just go with it. But I, I know, I know that feeling. I do some painting myself and uh, every now and again, it's like, what the heck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I understand completely, but there is a lack of understanding sometimes from people. Um, but then other times people are all right that do understand what you have going on, 
like if you explain to them, you know, what you have going on and that it does affect executive functioning, like, okay, I can do one thing at a time, but I can't do 10 things at a time anymore. Like I used to be able to do. Yeah, like a mom of six kids who right. was doing 10 things at once. Yeah, now they know instead of everybody coming in once needing things, you got to form a line. We got to go <laughs> one at a time and see what you need. <laughs> Um, well, the reason I asked that question is that we talked with a, uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Norm McNamara, who has Lewy body and is very um, high functioning, again, most of the time. And people have accused him of faking and, and not understanding. And I think it's an important message to let people know that because someone has a form of dementia doesn't mean that they, they, they're incapable of doing anything. That's right. <laughs> I mean... And I don't, and when I say I have a bad day, I mean, I can't function. Like some days my right side is shaking so intensely and, or some mornings I know it's going to be a bad day when I think I'm waking up and I'm trying to get ready to go to work because, you know, it's just, you never know what you're going to wake up and what your day's going to be like. So it's so hard to make plans because you can't say, oh, yeah, I'll, I would love to go and do that on such and such day. Because you don't know what kind of day you're going to have that day. So you have to, and um, you notice that a lot of people are scared and move away. It's like any friend, most friendships you have after your initial diagnosis it's kind of like everybody's scared to be around you because they they don't know how to deal with it you know that's interesting that you would say that um bobby and i a few years back um we shaved our heads to raise money for childhood cancer mm -hmm. And, and, and Bobby, you go ahead and tell the story about how you felt everybody was going to look at you. I, I assumed walking around with a completely bald head that uh, people would stare. What I found was they looked away. They didn't want to see. And, right. and I actually had a pin that said, ask me why I'm bald to get people to talk about it and understand that this this organization existed to raise funds for children's cancer. But I had no problem with people staring because they looked away. Um, they were afraid of what might be wrong with me. Right. And I, I found that extremely interesting. And as you can tell, um, my shaving my head was a lot different than Mike shaving his. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit more then. <laughs> yeah. People just... It's almost like they're scared that you're going to break, I think. And when you have something that is abnormal or they don't understand. And like you said, people look away. And, you know, I have my closest friend that I have been friends with for years and her family that's like our family. And... Pretty much, except for a couple of people that I talked to in this small town where we live, that's about it. Because people, 
want to just keep, people who keep moving on at life at their fast pace and my pace where it used to be very fast. My pace now is very slow because I've also found myself that by slowing down, you get to enjoy things a lot more and you realize that all those things that you were chasing after, they don't matter. That what yeah. matters now most to me because there is no definite timeline for FTD. Nobody can say to you, okay, you got diagnosed here and you have this long. You know, we have approximations between seven to 10 years after diagnosis, but you start thinking, and I was doing a lot of things that I now know were symptoms way before I noticed. I know that my, the, my psychiatrist that did my testing at Emory, she did tell me that I was at an advantage because mine would progress slower because of higher intelligence. And if I kept doing my brain games, vitamins, eat this, eat that, you know, get the right amount of rest, stay very organized, get in a routine, don't change your routine and all these steps that life would be a lot easier. And it has been. Well, you sure gave a lot of advice right there in, in what you had to say about, you know, what people can do. Now, well, now we're in, in COVID in isolation, most part, but a lot of people aren't going out in public, but noisy places and unfamiliar places are difficult. Yes, very much so. Um, I was a high school teacher for years and a media specialist, and noise never bothered me. I mean, you couldn't work in a high school and have noise bother you. That just wouldn't make sense. Or have Crowd six kids. never bothered me. I mean, we worked, you know, games for students and, you know, football games. You're in a huge crowd, any type of event. But now, especially by the end of the day, this is an example of an adaptation we've had to make. For instance, my son in the marching band you don't realize how overwhelming that many people and that much noise can be for somebody that has, I mean, it's definitely one thing that really overwhelms me. So what we started doing was we would park outside of the fence. And then again, I'm very lucky. We live in a small town and I was a teacher for years and we would park at the back side and go in the back gate at halftime. We would get there during the second, we would drop him off, get there during the second quarter and wait until it was almost time for the halftime show. And then we would go through the back gate with our tickets and stand along the side where I could still watch him, but I was just coming in to watch him for the halftime show. And then after that, then I could leave right out of the back gate where there weren't that many people and stay away from the crowd and then go back and sit in my car and, you know, either come home or, you know, my husband go back and get him or just wait for him depending on the day. 
And that's an example of an adaptation we learned that really worked that, you know, I still want to see my kids do things and participate in things. So because I can't deal with the noise in the crowd, that's what we decided would help. And it did. So now I still get to see him do those things. I'd like to circle back for a second. You mentioned about taking the kids to school. And I was wondering if, you know, with all the stuff that goes on when you're driving, does that put, uh, th- does that present a problem for you? Um, at times it does. There's days I can't drive. And I'll, um, I know those days. And also my children know of those days. Um, they can tell when I wake up too. And I mean, we have older children you know, that do the runs on those days or my husband, if he's home, I'm very lucky. We've gotten so much closer as a family and we have worked so hard to know everything about the way that I'm functioning. My kids know when I wake up within five minutes, usually um, after I get up for a minute, brush my teeth, they know and I know what mental state you know, I am right now. And I mean, I have, you know, kids that can drive, but I just enjoy being able to take, take the ones that don't to school. It's just a nice mom thing to be able to do. So understood. Yeah. So the ones that can't drive, you know, on the other, on the, my bad days, then they hop in with their brother and they go to school. So. Oh, awesome. Now I read that you had a situation with sweet tea. <laughs> and I thought it and I thought it was cute and funny from the aspect that you started the story off with. I live in Alabama, we're in the South. And sweet tea is a religion. It is. Would yeah. you please would you please share that story? Because it is absolutely cute and funny. When I was first diagnosed, and like I said, when I went back, when I had gone back to work and could not remember anything after being diagnosed, after having surgery and being under anesthesia, and I had to relearn how to make sweet tea. And in Alabama, you know how to make that from the time you can stand by the stove, because everybody has sweet tea in their fridge at all times. It is just <laughs> something you know. And my husband had to te- reteach me how to make sweet tea. And he took, he was so kind and so sweet. And I remember thinking, I've got to be the biggest idiot in the world. I've made probably. 10,000 gallons of sweet tea by now in my life and I don't know how to make it but he wrote the directions on the outside of the container so I wouldn't forget and it was things like that relearning stuff that was really hard but now we look back and laugh at it and we just laugh at the fact that I forgot how to make it and now if he if we get different tea bags at the store and it's not the kind of where I'm supposed to put four in, then the tea's all messed up. Like one time he got these giant bags recently and I put four of those and the tea turned out like black. 
And he said, what did you do? And I said, what do you mean, what did I do? I put four in. He said, but those are big bags. I said, but that's not the directions. We just all died laughing because then I realized what I had done. But it has definitely been one of those things where we have learned that humor helps so much. Absolutely. And as we say at the top of the program, laughter is the best medicine. It really and the is. Ability, the ability to laugh at a situation or laugh at yourself um, is is good mental, for mental health. And I guess uh, sweet tea is the wine of Alabama. That's right. <laughs> it's just like we were standing in the kitchen and my daughter was talking about being someone that only eats fish. And I said, do you mean Episcopalian? And they just died. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they said, no, that's the religion. And I was like, I know that. I, but I thought I had said Pescatarian, but I had said Episcopalian. <laughs> well, Jen, um, you are such an inspiration. It's been an absolute delight having you on the show with us and I know I got a lot out of the talk and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of the talk. And I, I reiterate, thank you so much for being with us today and hopefully we can keep in touch because you yes, are delighted. Yes, I'd love to. I am thankful for the opportunity and grateful to have the time to speak with y'all. It's been wonderful. Well, again, thank you, thank you, Thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart. Michael, you almost got a little southern accent there. I did? Yes, you're, thank you. Thank you. I can use the southern speech language lessons. I'm telling you, whenever I talk to anybody else or listen to anything I've done, I'm like, I sound like such a hillbilly when I talk. You're great just the way you are. You know, one of the things that I noticed right in the beginning when she said, we only have a short time to make a difference. Right. And Jen is making such a difference. Yes, she is. Um, yeah, I have that written down, too, that uh, even when something bad happens, you have to keep moving on. And that is so, so very true. Um, and it's something to keep in, in the back of your mind because... A lot of times when you look back, things weren't as bad as you thought they were at that moment in time. Something else I wrote down is we're here and we're basically a piece of sand on the beach. I was like, wow, <laughs> that is. <laughs> <whew>. <laughs> and the other thing I wrote down is by slowing down, you get to enjoy things more. And how many times have we heard stop and smell the roses? Mm -hmm. And that is so true. Just slow down. Enjoy things. Enjoy life. Wow. Well, again, a great big thanks to Jennifer Lee. You can find out more information about Jennifer on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show. Go to iTunes or the Roger That Facebook page and post a review. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. If you would like your identity to remain private, 
you can direct message your question on Facebook and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that, dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.